0: All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Why does it seem like there are so many businesses and industries that are doing things that undermine themselves? Whether it's beer companies offending their main consumers or Disney tripping over themselves to become less family-friendly, or oil companies trying to go green, there seems to be no shortage of this trend. Is ESG to blame? We're going to go sift through some of these companies' ESG reports and see what we can find. Also, the Durham report was released. Was it vindication for Donald Trump or a dud for conservatives? We're going to be talking about all this and more in episode 398 of the In the Tank podcast. To the end of the Think podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall, and joining me today, we've got the full crew, Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir?
1: I'm doing okay. I am uh, on uh, vacation day, so I'm in a vacation shirt, not uh, not a collared shirt as usually I have on this. But, I, but, you know, I love you guys and I love our audience. I love this podcast so much.
0: Even on vacation, I can't help but be part of it. That's true. We couldn't keep him off if we tried. Also joining us, Chris Talgo. He is the director of editorial, editorial director. That's it for the Heartland Institute. How are you? Good, sir. Doing good. Can't complain. All right, man. A a few words. (laughs) Justin (laughs) Askins, director of the Socialism Research Center and lacking most of his voice. How are you doing today? Good, sir.
2: Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, Unlike Jim, I'm here against my will. So uh, I don't want to be here, but I am. And uh, I'm standing. Hashtag still standing. Um, <laughs> we need to we need to get that going. I for some reason it's amazing. Like my voice is totally shot, as the audience I'm sure can tell. Um, but uh, I have no idea why. It's really weird. It's not well, like I've done anything out of the ordinary. I feel fine. I just woke up like this and. Uh, I don't, know. I don't know. Well, what last, last
0: episode, last episode, uh, somebody accused you of being a robot, Chat GPT. Uh, so this is just proving that you're actually yeah, human, the facade. So...
2: It, it's all breaking down now. It's all being <laughs> revealed. It's terrible. <laughs>
0: the, the algorithm is corrupted. That's that's yeah. actually just uh... AI is really advancing. It even gives us a uh, a scratchy. Six. Yeah, he's got a computer virus. That's has everyone. Um. So yeah, lots to lots to get to this episode we got a lot of topics but we have some uh we have some news from heartland <clears throat> hq itself jim uh shows up to work the other day and he uh goes to salute the flags like he always does every morning at you know at seven seven a.m on the dot and he was distraught to find that we had been vandalized at heartland hq jim take it away what happened
1: Yeah, well, uh, actually, so sometime between last Tuesday and around podcast time last Thursday, uh, somebody had come to our office building and had vandalized. Uh, We've had since we moved into the building in 2015, we've had uh, the American flag and the Gaston flag, uh, the one that says "Don't Tread on Me" on it. Um, Very important in the uh, revolutionary era, and of course, uh, kind of a rallying call for. Uh, the lovers of freedom in america for 250 years now and uh actually it was after the podcast i had taken uh producer andy and our intern it was our intern's last day out for lunch and we came back and i park in the same spot and i always when i park i look over and check out the flags and i noticed they're gone and walked over there and realized that somebody had lowered the flags and set them on fire and uh melted the nylon into a nice black pile at the bottom of the Uh, at the bottom of the flagpole. And, um, you know, in fact, we've been in, like I said, we've been in the building since 2015. Uh, The first thing I Googled, uh, one of the first things I Googled when we moved in the building was how to remove spray paint from brick. Because I figured, uh, because the Heartland Institute is such a controversial organization because of our stances for freedom and free market capitalism, but especially our stance against climate alarmism, that it would just be a matter of time until somebody came along and uh, vandalized our building uh, when we were in downtown Chicago in what they call the Loop in downtown uh, on one South Wacker in a really nice building. One day we had a die-in on the street in front of our uh, big apartment <laughs> building, and I went down there and stepped over them like, <laughs> like I didn't care about them because I didn't, and so that was kind of funny. So you know we've we've been the target of protests at our climate conferences before. Uh, that's happened several times, uh, but but anyway, so so this happened. So I filed a police report. Uh, we have security cameras at the Heartless Institute, but they point at the doors
0: to to catch somebody trying to break in. Uh, or do the they? Night. For any of those that are planning on another attack, uh, we might have yes. new cameras. We don't know.
1: Yeah, and and the and I should just warn everybody: if you want to try something again, that the the, the building is booby trapped, and uh, if something bad happens to you, that's on you, not on us. I I'm not sure the law actually thinks so, but too bad. That's the way it's going to work out. Uh, anyway, so I filed a police report. Uh, the cameras didn't pick up anybody uh, doing anything because it's not pointed at the flagpole in the middle of the building, it's pointed at the doors. Um, so you know, police report's been filed, and then we installed uh this week new flags that are bigger than the ones that we left before. So, uh, uh you know, take that <laughs> Uh, now, now, now there's even more, there's even bigger appreciation the united states of america for freedom in front of the heartland Institute building yeah every
0: time we, our every time our flags get burned down we're going to replace them with bigger and bigger flags that is can our we get,
2: can we, yeah i think that's a good idea can we get one of those come and take it flags let's add yeah. let's add that let's, let's start add adding more flags more. let's have more flags
3: right right yeah.
2: we could be like the united nations out there with like fifty thousand flags
3: there let's we do go. that yeah. You know, you know that like camping world has like that, like humongous and like, like, you know, just gigantic American flight We got to get one of those.
0: <laughs> yeah, <or> just <laughs> obscures the entire building. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. Can well, we, well it's, can, it's Can we order one of those, please?
1: Well, it's funny. The, 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 the Andy has a picture on the screen for those watching on YouTube. Uh, our handyman, uh, Mike, there on the right. He's a big fan of we just happened to come upon him randomly as a vendor, uh, you know, years ago. But he's a, a rock rib conservative and a big fan of the Heartland Institute and what we do. He sometimes just comes by to chat and, you know, about stuff. It's great. He volunteered his time and he bought the rope and the, uh, the hooks for the flag for us. I ordered the, the flags on Amazon. And he said, if this happens again, give me a call and I'll come back and do it for free again. So uh, it's, we're very fortunate to have a very patriotic handyman uh, for our building
0: at the Heartland Institute. So thanks, Mike. Bob Johnson says, did you add another camera pointed at the flag? And we did. And it may or may not be equipped with poison-tipped darts. So yes. we'll just we'll leave that to someone's imagination. We'll
1: neither confirm or deny that.
0: Uh, if so. you have a red dot on your head when you're standing next to the fly pole, beware. Yes. Uh so another week and another instance where so-called conspiracy theorists amongst us were vindicated. So first it was Russian collusion, nothing burger, uh Justin's favorite term. Then the whole host of different COVID stuff affected uh, the you know, effectiveness of lockdowns, whatever. Then it was gas stoves, and I'm sure I'm missing a million things, but we got a new one. The Durham report was finally released after what? four years in the making, something like that. Hmm. The investigation was initiated by then Attorney General William Barr and was to surround the origins of the FBI's investigation to the Russian interference in the 2016 United States elections. The investigation was to look at the political potential political bias of the FBI, the role of the opposition party in the Clinton campaign, and the extent to which this was all a, a witch hunt. So uh, so I'm reading from the uh, or at least I'm, I'm basing my very limited knowledge of all of this off of an article that's in the show notes from the Federalist titled Durham's much needed record of deep state and Dem corruption proves conservatives were spot on. So what were the report's findings? Did it clear the FBI of any wrongdoing or abuse? No, no. It concluded that the entire investigation was launched on unjustified grounds. Quote, the special counsel excoriated the FBI for opening a full investigation without conducting any review or analysis of the supposed intel the initial investigation was based on. So did the report exonerate the Clinton campaign of any wrongdoing in any of this? No. No, the report highlighted the role of the Clinton machine in hiring people to make up the intel that sparked the entire investigation. Not only that, but they outlined the, quote, Clinton plan to specifically stir up fake controversy that Trump was in bed with Russia, a plan that then VP Joe Biden was briefed on, by the way. Uh, But surely the deep state accusations stop there, right? No. The report detailed how the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act or FISA court was abused to continue its completely baseless investigations. So, was this uh, just about government corruption and political bias then? No. The media had a big role in all of this, too, from botched stories and flat out yellow journalism. The media carried water for the Clintons, the baseless FBI investigation and anyone that waved the I hate Trump flag. So, Chris, I want to start with you. Uh, You probably have paid more attention to this than anybody. Uh, What were your thoughts on the release of this report?
3: So, you know, what the report did was it just, you know. Like uh, it's set in stone, everything that we had known had happened. Uh, We knew that the Hillary Clinton campaign. Paid Michael Steele to uh, come up with the Steele, you know, dossier, which was complete BS, you know, Trump going to Moscow and, uh, you know, with hookers and all just all that stuff. But what it did was it 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 created, you know, this narrative that uh, Donald Trump, uh, the, the Trump campaign was, you know, in collusion with Russia. And what really what really, you know, uh, I think mattered most was the fact that that ruined the first, you know, two and a half, three years of his presidency. So I think, you know, when we look back at this, you know, this was done under the, uh, you know, under the Obama administration. And uh, it, you know, it really like severely handicapped, uh, you know, Donald Trump's, you know, first three years in office. And it makes me, you know, sad to think what could have been if this hadn't happened. But, you know, I've just come to the conclusion that the FBI has been weaponized. The Department of Justice has been weaponized. And we have a two-tier justice system in which one side of the political aisle can basically get away with whatever they want. However, the other side of the political aisle, and everyone from Paul Manafort to General Flynn, uh, pays you know a different price for you know for much lesser uh, offenses. So this is this is a very you know disturbing um, report. However it's not going to go anywhere it's not going to do anything you know it's not going to actually uh, produce any any consequences for those who did it and I think that that is just going to uh, incentivize them to do it again in the future so it's just it's it's really disappointing
0: yeah yeah well Jim I mean the 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 picture that the media is trying to paint with all of this is oh it was a it was a dud it was a disappointment you know no one got in trouble this wasn't revealing anything that wasn't already made public before. Um, what's, what's your response to that?
1: Oh, well, as Chris knows, I have a lot to say about this. Cause I wrote some notes about it the other night and sent it to him and he put it up as a blog post on our, on heartland.org. So maybe if I end up doing that, I'd label it as show notes, just kind of a stream of consciousness, but, uh, so you can go there and look at it if you like, but, um, you know, one of the things that just really, that's infuriating, uh, is that the people that set everything that's in the Durham report people who were paying attention and were concerned about the, the grave abuse of power by our government against a, 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 about to be inaugurated, you know, a candidate for president and as a president, it was a, well, people call it a soft coup. Okay, well, I mean, a coup would, you would actually have weapons, uh, you know, an actually but this was an actual insurrection against the duly elected president of the United States. And, you know, as a former journalist, Uh, I'm reminded that the the New York Times and the Washington Post won Pulitzer Prizes for their Russia collusion stories in 2018. And it was all a hoax, all of it. The Durham report proves that this, what people have known now for a while, that the Russia collusion thing was completely fabricated. And it was fabricated by, again, this is not a conspiracy theory, the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy, and by the intelligence and law enforcement bureaucracy of the United States, the most powerful Unelected people in this country and perhaps even in the in the world. But the citation from the um, from the Pulitzer Prize Awards that New York Times and Washington Post got says, quote, uh, they got it for, quote, deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage in the public interest that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of the of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and its connections to the Trump campaign, the president elects transition team and his eventual administration. Everything in that citation for the Pulitzer Prize in 2018 is false. It was purposely false. And in fact, the Durham report shows that um, they were very, very gentle in the way, uh, really criminal charges should be filed against dozens of people who abused their offices and created out of thin air, serious felony charges against the president of the United States. And he was handcuffed, you you know, his, his administration was stymied, you know, like it or not, he won the presidency. The American people rejected Hillary Clinton, which was supposed to be the continuation of the Obama administration. And, and, the, and the reaction of the deep state and the left and the Democratic Party, and in a meeting with Obama and Biden and Comey and Brennan uh, and, um, and the attorney general all got together and, and said, you know, hey, um, we need to stop this guy. We need to, to, to basically push this narrative that he's an illegitimate, not legitimately elected president installed in office by Russia. And every network, say Fox News, ran with this as if it was true and gospel for years. This is the biggest scandal in American history, bar none. Nothing even comes close. You know, Rachel Maddow and so many other stars of cable TV said night after night after night that Donald Trump was an actual agent, a foreign agent of Russia, taking orders from Putin in the (laughs) White House. And do do you even realize how much damage that does to society? How the public cannot trust their institutions because you continue to perpetuate this lie for years and years and years. And the idea that that this Russia collusion story for which they won Pulitzers was deeply sourced is a complete joke. It was the same deep staters who were inventing this out of uh, whole cloth, feeding it to the media to perpetuate and to say it's true. And the, and the Durham report shows that, um, he, again, John Durham should have recommended criminal charges for dozens of people. He didn't recommend criminal charges for anybody. Guys like Roger Stone, uh, you know, are, have their homes raided by a SWAT team at 530 in the morning to frog march him out of his house for a process crime of of bragging that he um, was more connected to the WikiLeaks guys when he actually never met them. That was his actual crime for which he was prosecuted federally. These people lied to courts, they fabricated evidence. Nobody has, the, the thing that's so discouraging about this is that the Durham report was maybe a last chance to have any kind of credibility, to have somebody be held responsible, to have actually should have been dozens of people held criminally responsible for committing crimes and abusing their power. And nothing, that, nothing like that will ever happen. The innocent continue to be punished and the guilty walk around scot-free. And to see the smug look on the faces of guys like Jim Comey who goes off and gets a book deal. He's a millionaire now. And he can't wipe that smug look off his face. Peter Strzok, who sends text messages to his, to his FBI colleague and lover, Lisa Page, saying, don't worry, we have an insurance plan to make sure that we destroy Trump. All of this stuff is true and talking about it for most of the last five, six years, you were called a conspiracy theorist. And now to see the media at the back end of all of this say, hey, "Hey, there's nothing to see here. This is all old news. It is infuriating and it is the biggest danger. It actually exposes the biggest danger to freedom in America. The fact that we have an unaccountable, absolutely politicized and abusive federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies in this country. And any time, that, that the American people dare to elect somebody outside the club, outside of, of the, you know, the, the whole system, this is what will happen to them. It was a warning shot across the bow. And this country, frankly, in, in many ways is lost because there's been no accountability for anybody in the media or in the government for what they have done. Well, I'm- Just
3: one, one, one quick correction. I said uh, Michael Steele was the name of the uh, dossier uh, author. His name is Christopher Steele, as Jim pointed out. Michael Steele uh, is the disgraced uh, former Republican Party chairman who is now yeah, a and it- talking head on MSNBC. So actually, yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to go that- hand in hand.
0: Sorry. You were just trying to cover for him because his name is Chris. I get it. Yeah. I I don't don't want my name associated with this in any way whatsoever. I'm just glad that this story is done and that this dark chapter of American history Mm. is over. And surely the political establishment and the deep state elements of our government have learned their lesson. And know to never try something like this again. Uh, And I'm sure that we can look forward to a long period of pristine and noble elections devoid of any government corruption and nefarious actions from our unelected bureaucratic betters. Uh, am I right, Justin?
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're wrong. Look, look, I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, um, there's no accountability and there never, there never is accountability. It's not just on this. It's on a million other things. And so it goes, goes all the way back. We can go back to Benghazi. We go back to Hillary Clinton torching her email server and what she shouldn't have had in her basement. And hiding your emails. I mean, I don't know what the point of these reports are anyway. I mean, Jim, Jim, the only thing that I disagree with, with, uh, that Jim said is he, he said something to the effect of this is the, this was the last chance for accountability. You know, if he had recommended criminal charges, if he had recommended criminal charges, there wouldn't have been any. So who cares? I mean, he might as well, what difference does it make? He could have recommended that they all go to jail and no one would have been prosecuted because the DOJ is would be, would have to do the prosecuting and they're Biden people. They're not going to do that. So it all, it doesn't, it ultimately, none of these things actually matter other than, you know, we produce these reports and they have political ramifications sometimes, although this one came years too late. And then you uh, uh, that's really the only thing that it does. And and it gives the media the chance to say things that the media has already been saying on the right for 2 years, 3 years, 4 years, whatever that this whole thing was a fraud. As soon as we found out that Hillary Clinton paid for the dossier, that was the end of that. I mean, that was that was that was all we needed. We didn't need anything more than that. So, at this point, um I guess the real question is how can how can the federal government be trusted? I mean, that's really the issue. How can the federal government be trusted? Why should we trust the federal government? And the only way that they can ever regain trust, and they they really don't have it. Um, the only way that we will ever see trust with the federal government again is if people start being held accountable when they are obviously abusing their power and or breaking the law. And we haven't seen even a hint of that. I don't think we're going to see a hint of that anytime soon. And so it does feel kind of hopeless as far as the federal government is concerned. And frankly, <clears throat> maybe that's a good thing. Because the federal government shouldn't have the power that it has anyway. And I hope that people, the more the federal government is delegitimized, I hope people realize the reason why it's so corrupt and so broken, the reason it doesn't work the way people think it should is because it was never intended to be what people think it should be now, which is the end-all be-all to all of our our problems. The federal government was never supposed to be that. That's not how we set it up. And there isn't a federal government uh, for a large nation that exists today that doesn't have corruption and all sorts of other problems. So, we need to start shifting the power back to the states where it's easier to hold people accountable, where you can move if you don't like your state government, if you really don't think there's any chance of them uh, reforming, you can always move and go to another state. Uh, as long as we're making these big sweeping changes at the federal level, as long as we give, keep giving them power, they're gonna keep abusing it and things are gonna get worse and worse and worse. And I I would challenge anybody in the world, I know that none of you disagree with me, but anybody in the world to show me historically how that isn't obviously true. Clearly (laughs) they've been abusing their power. And the left, the left used to be the champions of the people saying, uh, the champions of the idea that the federal government, especially on the law enforcement side, like the FBI and the NSA and the CIA, that they're all corrupt, that you can't trust any of them, that they're abusing their power, that they're surveilling people. They've been saying that for a half century, and now all of a sudden they're they're defending it because they're it's on there, it's helping them now. See, so it's just, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the problem. There's no accountability, and this report wouldn't have done anything to improve that anyway. So we just need to, we need to overhaul the whole thing, and I don't know how, I don't know who's willing to do that, but. That's the only hope we have of improving the federal government in the minds of the people.
3: I think I think that one way you could improve it is if you actually had accountability at the top, because I don't think most FBI agents agree with what is happening. And I know that there are some whistleblowers who are coming out and saying, hey, you know, we think that this was terrible. However, you know, James Comey and, uh, you know, the 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 people at the top of the intelligence agencies, as we've seen, you know, with the Hunter Biden laptop letter, they are the ones who have the, uh, you know, connection to the, you know, to the left to the left and to the democratic party. So unless and until you like decouple that relationship, I think this is just going to go on and on and on.
1: Well, I mean, I I think this, this, again, this, this result just shows that we're no longer a free people with a government that operates at our consent. You know, we're subjects of the ruling class. That's why nothing happens as, as Justin said, because um, it, it serves the interests of the ruling class and the democratic party. And there's apparently nothing we can do about it. We can't vote our way out of this. We tried that in 2016, uh, and the result was this: you know, uh, the corrupt prosecution of the of the people in the in the government that we elected. You know, the destruction really of the rule of law, and the revelation ultimately that our system is completely broken. I mean, that, that's where we are. And, and so, you know, I guess you're right, Justin. I mean, even if there were charges recommended by uh, John Durham. You know, the Merrick Garland is not going to is not actually not going to follow through and actually file federal charges against these people. So it would have mattered anyway. But at least it would have been on the record that these people should have been or it was recommended by an independent counsel that they should have been charged with federal crimes because they obviously committed federal crimes. We had people um, spend years in jail awaiting trial for parading around the Capitol. And we have people here who have completely perverted and corrupted our, our uh, law enforcement system and our justice system in this country to go after one man, Donald Trump. I mean, th- the number of people that they destroyed through, through the entirety of the Trump administration and then afterwards, of course, is nearly endless. And not a single person who has done actual wrongdoing who has committed actual crimes will ever have any accountability for it, and it's not even just that; it's that they're rewarded. They're rewarded with, um, you know, lucrative contracts as a commentator on cable channels, book deals, speaking engagements, all of this stuff. Uh, it's very disheartening. But you know, this is America now. We we don't live in a in a. Again, we don't live in a, We're not a free people with a government that operates at our consent. We are ruled by the ruling class, and literally, when they're caught red-handed. Committing crimes, nothing happens to them. To them, that is the extent and the and the depth and the and the and the, you know of their power. That there's think, nothing you can do that can ever get them in trouble. But they will trump up charges to make you in trouble and make your life miserable and punish you for opposing them. That's not that's not the free country we think we live in, but that's the country we live in now.
3: I think it also shows the power of the deep state because Donald Trump, you know. campaign on draining the swamp and you know coming in and firing a lot of these people at the intelligence agencies and you know the justice department and that just goes to show that the deep state they're always there that's permanent washington politicians come and go and they just they they could not stand the fact that donald trump you know was going to come in and do what he said he was going to do so what did they do they launched this bogus investigation they crippled his presidency and they made a lot of people think that he was a quote illegitimate president And it worked to some degree. And that's what's so frustrating because now that it worked, I'm worried that they're going to use this tactic again and again and again in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, You know, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but you know, it's, kind of what I expected <laughs> like this oh, report yeah. comes out right. the media is just like oh no no nothing to, nothing to care about over here and the whole thing just it, it just kind of seems like the uh you know page one headlines all this misinformation and then when it's actually figured out to be uh, untruthful we've got a retraction on page 65 you know six months later well in this case four years later so you know, but it,
3: but it's, it's worse than that because I've been watching, you know, the coverage of it on CNN and MSNBC. And I mean, they mock it. They are talking about how this is, you know, like, yeah, quote, a nothing burger. When
0: we we know that there is a lot of substance in that <laughs> is there, report. Is there a silver lining, anyone? <laughs> Great question by Christine here. Any, anyone? Anyone? This just seems dour. I want to move to a better, uh, a little bit more of a lighthearted topic here in a minute. No, but because so- a lot of, well, yeah. I,
1: I think the only silver lining is that people actually understand how their government actually operates and how corrupt it actually is. So if there's any silver yeah. mining, that's that. It's not very shiny silver, but it's...
2: That's, that's actually a good point. I actually think that does matter. In the long run, that might matter a lot. I don't think this one report did that. I think people, a lot of people already feel that way, but it, it's cumulative. It has a cumulative effect. And I think it does do that. It, you know, uh, It wasn't that long ago that everyone was convinced that James Comey was actually, you know, a fair and balanced guy and he was appointed by George W. Bush and he was going to be fair and all this. It wasn't that long ago. Mm. Republicans. Yeah, exactly. Republicans were the ones saying that they were all the. they were the ones saying that it wasn't that long ago that you had Republican members of Congress uh, actively criticizing the Trump administration for various things related to this. They were suspicious that maybe Actually, Trump did have some sort of weird deal in Russia or whatever. It wasn't that long ago that that was the case. Um, What happened with Donald Trump was the left went so crazy and the ruling class went so crazy that it made it clearer than ever uh, how corrupt they all are, how in bed they all are, how, um, how biased they all are, how willing they are to use their power. I don't think that most people would have believed prior to uh, Trump becoming president that so many people at the top in so many different agencies would be willing to do something like what happened in this case. Right. I just think people generally just didn't believe it. You I mean you had your libertarians who hate government and they definitely believe it. And then you had certain parts of the, of liberals uh, like the far left liberals who think nine 11s is an inside job. They definitely believe it. But everybody else, I think, was generally like, "No, maybe certain people, but you would never have all these parties working together to create this elaborate conspiracy purely for political reasons and and to like that's just I don't think people would have believed that, and now now we all know I mean, that is now it is touching.
3: That is a great point, because I've been following this stuff, you know, for 20 years now, like very, very closely. And before the 2015, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, entering the race, if you would have told me that the Justice Department would have done what they've done and the national security state would have done what it did, I would have been like, no, that's just that's just too far fetched. Now, it has been a very eye opening experience and a very scary experience, because it shows that when these when these very powerful institutions become politicized and weaponized. That is not a free country anymore. We do not live in a free country if that is the new normal under any circumstances whatsoever.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, we're, we're we're getting into just complete banana republic territory when it comes to our political system nowadays. So um, I would expect not. I was joking, obviously, about them learning their lesson. In fact, I think if they learned a lesson, it's that they could basically get away with this with maybe a slap on the wrist. So, yeah, I ex- definitely expect it to be ramped up and probably done in a extent that is more effective and more able to be hidden uh, in coming elections. So just expect that. Uh, but we should move on. We're already more than halfway and we haven't gotten to our main topic. So I'm sure there's people in the chat that are upset about that. So let's <laughs> get into it. Um, the main topic comes to us from Jim. He made me aware of a Miller Lite ad uh, that's a couple of months old, uh, but it's only just recently gone viral. And no, this isn't the Dylan Mulvaney. That was Bud Light. Apparently, they're two different organiz- uh, uh, two different companies. I'm not a beer person, so I didn't know that. And uh, this was... Uh, you, you know what? Let's just play the clip. I don't think there's any need for me to to explain it before we before we play it. Andy, if you have that clip already, the Miller Lite ad... Go ahead and play this. This is gonna want. This is gonna make you want to drink their product. I know it. Go ahead. Here's a little known fact: Women were among the very first to brew beer ever. From Mesopotamia to the Middle Ages to Colonial America, women were the ones doing the brewing.
1: Yeah, Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis.
2: Wow. Oh my god.
1: Oh my god. Look at this. Sh- wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their shit, but the whole beer industry's shit. Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this and buying it back so that he can turn it into good
0: for women brewers. Literally, good shit. How, you ask? Ladies, take it away. First, we turn the bad into compost. Then we feed compost to worms. Push we get the idea, do we have to play the rest of, the of this? <laughs> that good helps farmers grow quality hops which has been donated to women
3: brewers
1: to make their own really good. Shit. But there's definitely more out there
3: in your attic, in the garage in your parents' basement. Send any shit you got into Miller light and they'll turn that into good shit too. Oh,
1: So here's to women because uh. without us,
0: there would be no beer. All right. Now you can. Yeah. Okay. Let's I, I've, I've watched that now three times and that is, Two and a half times too many, uh, because it is just brutal, brutal to listen to. And forgive me if I'm old fashioned, but I thought the point of beer was tied pretty closely to the idea of having fun. And how do they (laughs) expect to sell beer with an ad that is probably the most fun sucking thing ever created by man or or woman? Sorry, I don't know. (laughs) So, uh, Jim, thoughts on this ad? I mean, this, this was brutal. This was absolutely brutal
1: well you know i'm actually a home brewer so i know a bit about how to how to make beer and uh and this is related to esg and dei scores and all that stuff you know which is why we're bringing it to that we'll get to that yeah yeah we'll get to that but um but yeah i mean i mean women are among the first to brew beer ever it's like you know okay you know humans brewed beer um and who in ancient times you know you know when we were in a hunter-gatherer society who did the hunting and who did the, um, uh, the gathering and who did the cooking and the making of things in the home the women did. So like, but again, so what, so what if women were among the first people to brew beer? I mean, that that's, (laughs) it it doesn't matter. I know this was to celebrate women's month, which apparently is March. I wasn't aware of that. So now I'm aware of that. So I guess it's raised my awareness about that, but this commercial, it is just so um, it's just so not funny. I know it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. It's supposed to be funny. Is it? It's not funny. The tone is all wrong from the very beginning. It's so anti-men. You know, why do men suck and you know, and why are women great at all times? You know, it's kind of like in sitcoms. Every sitcom has the, the, the dad is the butt of all the jokes. The mother, you know, even going back to everybody loves Raymond, which seems like a million years ago in our culture, you know, the the it, Raymond was the one who was always the butt of the jokes, and, and the wife is always um, the, the smart one. That's fine. You know, we've been doing that. But, um, you know, this whole idea that in order to celebrate women, you have to you have to destroy men and any any accomplishments they may have. This is just part of it. And again, it's supposed to be funny, but it's not funny. Oh, gosh, so edgy. They say they say um, I don't want to say it because they bleeped it out, but they curse like every four seconds. Oh, wow. How edgy, you know, women cursing and all of this stuff. It's like. And then just another point, it's like the, the, the thrust of this is that it was somehow a crime, a, a, a moral failing and a societal or cultural crime to have women in bikinis selling beer. Now, who buys beer? Most beer and especially light beer with this mass produced garbage. Who who mostly buys it? Young men. And then they continue to you know drink their favorite brand of piss water for their entire adult lives. You know, it's it's okay to actually ask women. Th- these women were not kidnapped, forced to wear bikinis and photographed. These were models who competed for these jobs, and there's actually nothing wrong. And this this again gets back into the whole DEI and, and like the leftist infection of everything in our culture that comes from a- out of academia. The idea that the male gaze is evil—it's not. It's natural you know it's it's actually the way humans are wired men are visually uh, stimulated let's say um, and so these sorts of things are used sex cells that's been a, a, that's been a, a a rule of advertising forever and just this idea that's like now we're so much more enlightened now see um, and so we're not we're not just not going to do bikini um, uh, you know promos anymore to sell beer we are going to literally shred them right. and feed them to worms to make compost. And then actually this is one of the things that I think is just awesome is that we are going to take that compost that we make out of these old ads and um, donate that or actually use that to grow hops and then donate those hops to women brewers. You mean, that means women, the, the very small number, I would imagine women microbrewers. So they're going to create, they're so upset. They're so guilty of objectifying women back in the 80s and 90s, that they've just, they, they've created a corporate welfare program for their competition. They're going to be giving away materials to women brewers to as penance for their sins of the past. And I guarantee you that increases their ESG scores as a corporation, which is the reason they did all this this stupid ad in the first place.
0: Yeah, everyone, everyone buckle up, because I think we're going to be going longer than an hour. Uh, We've got a lot of topics to get to. Um, But uh, to ride on one of Jim's points, uh, there was a quote given by a Miller Lite um, spokesperson. Right. And after this ad kind of blew up and got some controversy or whatever, started trending on Twitter or something like that. The quote is, this video was about two things worm poop in saying women shouldn't be forced to mud wrestle in order to sell beer. Neither of those things should be remotely controversial. And it's like, that's the biggest straw man in the world. Like, what slave labor were they using To uh, for these women to be, you know, uh, being dressed up like this. No one was using force. If they were using force and forcing women into bikinis for their their ads, that's a whole other story. And maybe they should be having different uh, commercials uh, apologizing for that. But as far as I'm aware, this was all consensual. This is all done by voluntary interactions between consenting adults. So I don't know where that straw man came from, but it's mind-blowing to me. And obviously, this is hot on the heels of the controversy that Bud Light found itself in when it decided that a great spokesperson for their product was Dylan Mulvaney, a person who has been a trans woman for about a year now. And this is what inspired the thought that led to the overarching main topic of this podcast. Why are all these companies keep stepping into controversy when it's so obvious that the thing that they're doing is going to be controversial? So another example of this sort of thing uh, was the recent decision by Sports Illustrated to feature a transgendered model on the cover of their swimsuit edition, which is especially ironic considering that we were just told by Miller Lite ad that featuring women in bathing suits was bleep and outdated. So I don't know. Sometimes it's empowering. Sometimes it's degrading. I'm not really sure which one. I guess our, you know, our uh, cultural betters have to tell me in every uh, example of it. Or remember that Gillette Razors commercial from not that long ago that basically called all men misogynistic pigs that need to evolve. Uh, So anyways, all of this has just led us to ponder. Is this related to ESG? And, and I want to explore that a little bit. But before I get to some of the points that I have that um, maybe shed some light on that specific question, Justin, what are your thoughts on all of this stuff so far?
2: Um, <clears throat> I think that the biggest issue is not that they have taken the position that they have in the commercial. Um, I think commercials over time have radically changed. And the kinds of commercials you saw in the 1920s would not have women in bikinis selling beer, okay? But the kinds of commercials that you you see over time should be a reflection of what you think your customer base wants. And um, that's how the free market works, right? So the issue that we have, I, the issue that I have with this isn't so much what they were saying, it's the reasons why they were saying it. See, the reason why they're saying men are terrible and they forced women into these bikinis, or implying it that, you know, men force women into these bikinis to sell beer and that was awful. And, you know, we're going to men are men are, you know, pigs. And so we're going to go in a different direction now. And women deserve all the credit for beer and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like that. Like the reason that they're doing that is not because that's what most of the customers want. If that's what most of the customers wanted, then I wouldn't blame them for doing that. But they're imposing that idea on people. That's the point. And it's not just them making a bad decision to try to impose an idea because maybe they just misunderstood and they thought that's what their, their customer base wanted. It's all of them. Like all the corporations are doing it. When you have the, the, the swimsuit edition thing for Sports Illustrated is probably the best example of it in history because the sole purpose, see, at least with beer, there are women who drink beer too. Okay, but there are no women who are who are straight women who are buying the Sports <laughs> Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Like right. the sole reason that that thing exists to is to hugle heterosexual men. <laughs> like that's it. That's all. There's no other reason. It makes there's no reason for it. It has nothing to do with sports. The only reason you do it is because they're scantily clad women and and heterosexual men like to look at half naked women are aesthetically so,
0: pleasing to look that, at
2: that's that's all <laughs> is,
0: that's the only reason it's very simple so, concept.
2: so when you say okay let's put a uh, a transgender <laughs> person on the cover of it that heterosexual men don't want to see then what that, that there's literally no commercial reason to do that in a normal market situation and that leads to all the ESG stuff and everything that we've talked about. So fundamentally, it's not about the commercials and the messaging. It's actually about the reasons for the commercials and the messaging. Right. And, and so I, I think that's the primary problem. When you get all the elites together and they all start imposing whatever ideas they want on society, oh. that's, that's where you run into trouble. And I think that's what we're seeing now across every single thing with Disney, with Bud Light, with everybody now. Sports Illustrated, they're all doing the same thing. They're force-feeding people ideas that, that are not what their customers want. They don't care what their customers want. And that's a total breakdown of market economics.
0: Yeah. So Chris, I want to get into some of the, the, the connections, the specific connections to ESG, but do you have any comments before I do that or do you want to save it for after?
3: No, I just real quick comment, just kind of um, expanding on what Justin was saying. I I completely agree with his assessment that this is trying to impose, you know, I think it's trying to normalize this to people. I think it's also trying to normalize it to the younger people. And I think that this is more than the whole like trans thing. I think this is just about uh, the standard of beauty, uh, you know that has been completely rewritten in, uh, you know, the past few years where, you know, the standard of beauty, uh, you know, for going back, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years has been somewhat, you know, objective. And now all of a sudden it's, uh, well, you know, like Lizzo is beautiful and just like all these kind of things. And it's like, okay, yes, I'm sure that for a small segment of the population, someone like Lizzo is a beautiful woman. However, for the vast majority of the population, no, she's not. And that is not a a, you know, uh, uh, an attack against Lizzo by any means. But I just think that they're just trying to like rewire our brains to accept their, you know, uh, interpretation of what is acceptable, whether that's a, you know, like morbidly obese woman. Now you must say she's beautiful or putting a transgender man a man on the cover of sports illustrated saying you must say that this you must acknowledge that this is a beautiful woman no i'm not going to do it under any circumstances at all ever sorry did uh,
0: did jordan peterson join the stream i think that was jordan peterson on there oh i know that was chris uh <laughs> it's just channeling him uh so i could imagine that this was just all a bunch of stupid companies virtue signaling and underestimating the backlash uh that they would get But it's just happening far too frequently and far too egregiously nowadays to just be a coincidence. So I came across an interesting article from the New York Post titled Go Woke or Lose Bonuses. CEOs are, quote, forced into Dylan Mulvaney deal system. So in the article, the author writes that ESG policies are, uh, quote, why major American corporations are handing out lucrative endorsements to fringe celebrities like transgender performer Dylan Mulvaney. The author then references an article from the New York Post that talks about how, quote, companies strive to receive a perfect corporate equality index CEI score from the pro-LGBTQ plus lobbying group, the Human Rights Campaign, to comply with progressive policies exposed by the world's biggest asset funds, pushing them into branding deals like the one with Mulvaney. So then it talks about ESG uh, and how it amounts to a large protection racket whose wielders, BlackRock and Vanguard, to name a few, use to uh, how they use pressure campaigns to make companies comply with their standards. So um, and I thought. You know, uh, like another thing is that I think people underestimate the work that goes into ESG compliance. This isn't just some score that is generated by some nonprofit that has as much or as little power as you are willing to think it has. No, ESG is a major thing for big corporations. Uh, probably any company that you've heard of has an ESG compliance officer or an entire department dedicated to ESG compliance. If you want, an eye opener into uh, the extent of this ESG crap, just Google company of your choice and ESG report, and they will probably have one for you. So I have in the show notes an ESG report uh, from 2022 from Anheuser Busch. So Andy, pull this up if you can. Uh, this is a, this is a very interesting thing. So listeners of the show, uh, if, if you're watching, you'd be able to see that uh, this isn't just some two-page black-and-white Word document report about ESG and and what this company is trying to do to improve their ESG scores. No, no, no. This ESG report is 105 pages, full-color, heavy graphics, charts, infographics, spanning every topic from climate change to diversity, equity and inclusion, everything that you could possibly imagine. And uh, um, and you know if if you didn't if there was any doubt that this wasn't related to the Great Reset, um, and like the social credit score that revolves around that that we talk extensively about, on page one hundred, if you go all the way to page one hundred, Andy, this is this is a surprise for this is a surprise specifically for Justin. If you go to page one hundred of this report, there is a section titled World Economic Forum Stakeholder Capitalism Metrics. And you'll find an index of all the metrics proposed by the World Economic Forum and, a, and and a list of what pages of the report you'll find information about those specific metrics. So, Justin, I knew that this report was going to have a whole bunch of virtue signaling about climate change and sustainability and diversity stuff. But I truly did not think I would find a section specifically talking about the World Economic Forum's concept of stakeholder capitalism. What do you think about all this?
2: Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's amazing. It, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where, um, you know, I feel like people haven't. It, people are aware of ESG and they and they know that ESG is a problem. I think most people in on the, on the right or have at least heard of it. They at least are worried about it in some fashion, but I don't think that they actually understand just how widespread and pervasive it is in corporate America. Uh, it is everywhere. It is it is everywhere. Any company, any large corporation, almost any large corporation, you can find an ESG report that they produce every year, bragging about all their ESG work. And it's not common, though, to see it laid out quite like this, where they say, "Go to you know this is this uh, complies with this specific." ESG metric for the world economic forum. You don't usually see it like that, which is pretty stunning, but it's, it's, it just goes to show you everything we've been saying about this is, is hundred percent true. Why, why, what does this have to do with what their customers want? Like, what does it have to do with what their customers want? W the world economic forum is not their customers. So why are they bragging about how well they're complying with WEF mandates? Who cares? The average person buying beer does not care. the world economic forum says and it just goes back to what i was saying before so much of what is happening in these companies has nothing to do with what the customers want nothing and that's exactly what this is indicating they they literally have a team of people at this company whose sole job is to is to track compliance with the world economic forums esg metrics like think about that why would they do that why would they spend all this time That's the thing that we've been pointing out over and over and over again. And you could take almost any story that you see in the news that's related to this. That's a weird kind of story. And you'll, you can, if you go far enough back and you dig deep enough, you will find some connection to ESG
0: one way or another. That's the only reason they do it has nothing to do with anything else. The the sheer amount of effort that went into just creating that report, (laughs) like, you know, and all that effort that could have been used for, you know, producing a good product. It's staggering. Like, it's unbelievable. And they're not the only ones. Like I said, you can Google any company and find an ESG report uh, pretty much the same size, if not bigger than something like that. What do you think about all this?
1: Well, I'm sure Justin would agree with me. This is social engineering through corporate power. Right. Because, you know, you may, you may elect in Europe, say you may elect a left-wing government, and they may push some of these agenda items on climate and equity and uh, immigration and all sorts of things. You know, but then even in places like France, uh, the people get sick of it and elect a right wing government to replace that and to reverse some of those things and, and slow progress. And the ESG movement is um, quite literally the attempt by global elites to socially engineer the world through corporate power, because you can't they, they figure if they don't have to get unanimity among all corporations but they sure seem to be getting pretty close to it because it, it's infecting the beer brands in the United States. It's affecting airlines. It's affecting car companies. Um, it's, it's, it's infecting almost every aspect of your life through corporate power. And they figure, um, they probably actually have probably estimated that they are right now at the critical mass of corporate cooperation in socially engineering um, society into a leftist, collectivist, uh, and anti-capitalist direction, uh, you know, ironically, using the power of capitalism to destroy capitalism and freedom, um, because those two things go hand in hand. Uh, so, you know, so that's that's what this is about. That's why you see a commercial like was produced by Bud Light, or that's why Bud Light hires. Um, somebody that has nothing to do with anybody uh, who actually consumes Bud Light, somebody who these people actually probably never, most of the customers never even heard of, but then saw it and was like, what is this? This is not me. This is not my life. This is not something I necessarily agree with. Um, That's why they, you know, the people being hired in these corporations are of the woke stripe. They've, a lot of them are, are young. They've just come out of college. So they've been indoctrinated in this. And it, it, again, it's social engineering uh, through corporate power so that you cannot escape it. You know, it's, it's, so if you like light beer, so, and, and but, and you're not woke and, and you actually want to, you know, push against uh, ESG and the, you know, the idea of destroying our society and, and forcing people by taking away their choices um, okay, well, if you were a Bud Light drinker, you might have actually switched last month to Miller Lite. Well, now you have to reevaluate that, reevaluate right. that because uh, they're on the woke ESG train as well. Um, I believe Molson Coors is also a pretty uh, pretty high up on the ESG. Uh, agenda. So that's another thing. So, you know, you could be like me and brew your own beer, which I'm going to be, I'm actually overdue for a couple of batches. So I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, but Jim <laughs> does it in a bikini. So you able to have to
0: be, you to have to be a little worried about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, but it's <laughs> everywhere. And so I, I, I just want to resist the movement to, to re-engineer society through corporate power. And so, you know, you just have to start making your own smarter choices if that's important to you.
0: Uh, Chris, I I want your thoughts on this, but I do want to bring up Disney for for just a minute before I do. Uh, So let's check out Disney's ESG report. And for a company the size of Disney, a, a single report, that's too low effort. When you're Disney, you need an entire website to feature your ESG efforts. Filled with topic filters and impact stories and everything you could possibly imagine under the sun of ESG. It's truly unbelievable how much effort goes into this uh, for a company the size of Disney, apparently. Disney is a company that historically attempted to make content that appealed to the most common denominator. They retold old fairy tales with a then-modern flair and then-new-age animation techniques. And now they can't seemingly go a day without a story revolving around them, virtue signaling something or another. And, uh, you know, you you can't even turn on a classic movie or show on Disney Plus without a message from the company explaining how their 50 year old product is now problematic. It's literally the case. I had my two year old watching uh, DuckTales the other day and an episode came on and there was a warning saying that the way that a certain peoples are being uh, are portrayed on this are, are problematic and how, you know, we're going to leave it on so that we can learn from our mistakes or something like that. It's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, most of the movies that they come out with now, um, you know, they, they, they try to broadly appeal, but they definitely have some sort of social justice messaging uh, in there somewhere or another. So, Chris, I mean, feel free to talk about Disney if you want or just any of this and how it connects to ESG, whatever you think.
3: Well just uh, I, I want to just go back to uh, one of the statements you just made. So I don't think that many of these uh, media companies like Disney or Netflix or Amazon Prime are making content that is broad-based that is supposed to appeal to a wide audience because I've noticed that it is very tailored to a uh, like a virtue signaling you know uh, audience and it's not meant to appeal to, you know, traditional values I think and it's definitely not meant to appeal to uh the foundations of this country, you know, so it doesn't surprise me. Um I just I, I I'm very worried that this is creating a bandwagon effect in which all these mega companies whether it's Walmart, Target, you know, just on down the line are doing it just to do it. And I don't understand why some of them aren't standing up and saying, you know what, we just don't agree with this. This is not this is not a law. They have no they they do not have to abide by these things. This is all their choice. And I just wish that there would be uh, companies would have more of a backbone, especially some of the companies that we associate with, you know, traditional American values. I wish that they would just stand up, but it's not happening. So. I wonder if it's going to lead to a bifurcation within the market where you are going to have companies that are like decidedly, quote, like left or decidedly, quote, right. And I mean, I guess that might happen. I don't want that to happen, but it is seems like this trend is not going away anytime soon. It seems like it's just ramping up more and more and more. And um, I. I wonder if the American people are going to make their voices heard and you know through uh, economic boycotts or through just you know not buying these you know products or paying for these services because they're so sick and tired of it. But then on the other hand, I say no because even a lot of times when I'm talking about this with other people, it's like, yeah, you know, we don't like it, but you know we're still going to you know to Walmart to buy our stuff or we're still going to target to buy our stuff or we're still watching stuff on Netflix. So it's almost like there's There isn't the availability of alternate choices yet to give people a way out. And I wonder if that is going to come to fruition or if now we're just going to be in a market that's dominated, you know, by ESG and by these, you know, virtual virtue signaling uh, corporate executives who are just ramrodding this down our throats. And I think this is all, you know, part of like a a a larger um, strategy that we talked about, you know, earlier with just trying to, uh, you know, rewrite, you know, normalcy and, you know, like back in the old days, beer companies made beer. That's what they did. And they had funny ads and it was cool. And, you know, I'm sure that a very, very small sliver of the population didn't agree with that, but that's fine. Most of most people did. And nowadays it seems like it's being turned on its head where these corporate executives are trying to appeal to that small, tiny sliver of very, you know, vocal opponents to these things. And most of us, the co- so-called silent majority, are, are, are silent as of now. But I do wonder if that's going to change at some point. I wonder if we will reach, you know, that inflection point where just Americans say enough, enough. You know, we don't want we, we don't want this stuff. I don't yeah, know. You,
0: you know, I, I, we're already north of an hour and I do want to bring up uh, um, oil companies for for Justin to talk about a little bit. But Jim would never forgive me if we were to bring up Disney and not allow him to talk on the matter of Disney. Uh, this is one of his one of his per- personal crusades. Him and I talk about this type of stuff all the time in the office. So let's have it, Jim. I know that you've been itching to talk about Disney and everything. So what do, what do you have to say?
1: I have nothing to say
0: about that. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Are you serious? I mean, well, I mean, I had a nice segue to bring up Justin. I was like, no, no, no. I gotta have Jim. Hey, you I know, have to say about Disney. You got nothing?
1: Well, uh, well, I mean, all right. Well, so I mean, t- just Disney. I mean, I don't watch like the kids' <laughs> Disney stuff, but like, you know, Disney now owns everything. They own the entire Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. They they own Star Wars. Got new um, Indiana Jones movie
0: coming out in a little bit.
1: Yeah. And, and so, you know, they are part, they are of the people that push ESG, uh, you know, the global elites that push, push ESG. Disney is their most potent and powerful weapon because it, it, it culturally, it touches so much of people's lives. Um, and so, you know, you just have to look at, you know, Disney, Disney plus is, is, is losing billions of dollars for the corporation. Um, they they put out like there was a movie Strange World that was basically a um, you know if you cooked up something if you cooked up a diversity cartoon in an ESG lab somewhere in Austria this is what you would come up with um, and it was completely it bombed at the box office and this goes to what Justin was saying and it, it you know it involves with the with the beer commercials and all that stuff too this isn't this is not what people want um, it is it is what the elites want you to want and they figure if they can just if they give it to you and shove it try to shove it down your throat you will swallow it and through that they will change the world that's not how it works um and again and and just in a certain way i guess it's a, it's a soft version of this but that's that's a totalitarian approach you know um in a free society you persuade people that your point of view or your way of looking at the world or, or this product or something, you persuade them to accept that as their own, you know, in their own beliefs. That's not how this is all working now. They just want to shove it down your throat through force, basically by ruining all of the things that you used to love. And and I, I would like to think, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they naively thought, you know, um, parents like you, Donnie, you just, parents will just put their kids in front of the, in front of Disney, Turn it on and then go off and you know do what they want. And so we have that, that opportunity to change the minds and to mold the minds of the youth by these people who passively put their kids in front of Disney by releasing movies like Strange World or you know putting all of this DEI stuff and uh, leftist agenda stuff into the entertainment. And that through that we will be able to to um, you know change the world. But that's you know, as people are discovering as Disney stock um, is is spiraling down the drain. They're realizing that that is not actually how that people work. That's not how human nature is. And that's not how free markets work. And we still do have free markets. And people are choosing not to get Disney+. Plus. They're choosing not to go to the movies anymore and to see the latest Disney offering because they don't trust it anymore. And they're frankly, like everything else, sick and tired of being lectured to uh, by people who think that they are your moral betters right. when they are not. And uh, that's the one thing I do have faith in is that the marketplace is answering this this agenda with rejection. And eventually, as Margaret Thatcher said, you run out of other people's money. And eventually, Disney's going to run out of its own money.
0: Yeah, see, I knew you had something to say. Uh, We did get a super chat in from Christine. If we have that, Uh, it says, you guys are like a lifeline to us, swimming in a sea of absurdity. And man, it seems like it's getting more and more absurd by the day. I mean, you know, it's like just a couple of years ago, like pre covid like it seemed like every everything was just kind of goes according to plan and all of that. And yeah, you would have your, you know, political stories that you would talk about and some policy stuff that you would talk about. But like once COVID hit the bloodstream of this world, man, it has just gone absolutely nuts. So I so think thank Donnie- you, Christine, uh, uh, super chats are a great way to help the show financially. If you, you know, want to promote the show, help the show out, super chats are a great way to do it. So I thank you, Christine. Go ahead, Chris, real quick.
3: I was going to say, I think that it was COVID and the uh, George Floyd, you know, Summer of Love that really did change things. I think that just
0: put everything like, you know, upside down. Yeah, and uh, Trump derangement syndrome after he won the election. That probably also. uh, Anyway, so all of these things just seem so counterintuitive. You know, beer companies trying to appeal to anyone but their core customers. Sports Illustrated trying to appeal to anyone but their core customers. Disney more concerned with making statements instead of content that everyone enjoys. But perhaps the most absurd are the oil companies trying to go green. So I have two stories in the show notes that I just want to quickly mention before going to to comments from Justin. One is from Climate Depot titled, uh, British Petroleum Buys Massive Stake in ESG Companies Climate Change Product. It's about how British Petroleum is buying into a climate change project in an effort to decarbonize the UK. And the other story comes from a COP28 team putting together a global decarbonization alliance composed of major players in the oil and gas sector. And if you uh, Google these companies, um, these these oil companies, whether it's, I don't know, Shell, BP, whatever, all the other ones, um, you will see that they too produce sustainability and ESG reports. So oil and gas companies, the sworn enemy of ESG, produce ESG reports that is how pervasive this entire thing is and it's seriously not an exaggeration to say that ESG has just turned the economy on its head I mean this is absolutely insane that all of these things are doing all these corporations all of these industries are doing things that just seem completely counterintuitive because that's what ESG is pressuring them to do So uh, Justin, feel free to comment on uh, the the oil and gas story there or anything that we've talked about so far.
2: Yeah, one of the the things that's so interesting about uh, working at Heartland is that you get a lot of criticism from people on the environmental left in particular, no matter what you're talking about. You could be talking about high taxes or something, and you'll get an article about, you know, the Heartland Institute, though you'll get someone writing you hate email about the Heartland Institute being climate deniers or whatever. Um, one of the things that always comes up, always, almost always, it comes up constantly, is that the only reason that the Heartland Institute takes the position that it does on issues related to environmentalism or climate change or whatever, is because the uh, like big oil and big gas and these big corporate giant corporations are are just funneling bucket loads of cash into the Heartland Institute's coffers. And what's so absurd about that, you can instantly tell when people don't know what they're talking about, when they start making those kinds of claims, because everyone in these big gigantic corporations are lined up against us. They're (laughs) actively invested in these, in these things that we're fighting against. They have been doing that for a long, long time. They don't support what we're doing. They don't agree with us. Uh, At least they don't actively agree with us. They might agree with us secretly, but they're not going to admit it publicly. They are all invested in, in so-called green energy companies and other endeavors like that. I mean, that's, that's been going on for a long time. So the the idea that the idea that the oil and gas industry, and this is just proof of it, right? Like this is proof of everything we've been saying throughout this whole episode. The idea that the oil and gas industry would be actively promoting causes that are designed specifically to undermine their primary product that they're selling is proof of the fact that there are motivations and there are incentives that are catalyzing action within these companies and other companies that have nothing to do with supply and demand. They have nothing to do with what customers want. There there are other forces at work. And that's what the Great Reset is all about. That's what ESG is all about. That's what so-called sustainable investment and sustainable finance and all of that. That's what's all these different groups, uh, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, Principles for Responsible Investment, all these things are designed to drive changes that are not happening within the market from market forces to impose these ideas on people because that's what they think that, things should be, and and they all have financial incentives for doing that too. They're all going to make money off of this, right? But they also have savior complexes and some of them think that they are saving the planet or whatever. And there's an element of that too. It depends on who you're talking about. A lot of them, I think are just doing it for money, but you, you see that there's something other than what customers want driving this. And you know, the one thing that I would disagree with uh, one of the things I would disagree with some, some things that Jim said, and I think Chris said some stuff too, is I think there's this idea on the right that like the average everyday customer of these companies can just say, well, I'm not buying Bud Light anymore. And then that means Bud Light is going to have to uh, change course. Now to some extent that's true. Okay. But largely Bud Light, actually doesn't care what customers think for them. And I know it's hard to believe, but a lot of the money that comes into this system now is not from regular consumers. It's from other gigantic corporations. It's from big financial institutions and others, and they will keep all these giant woke corporations alive. They've all, they're all in it together. They've all made a pact. They're going to make sure that they're all taken care of.
1: Anheuser-Busch InBev has lost $5 billion at least in market cap. That doesn't matter. I, I, it, another, it, it doesn't
2: it doesn't matter. It'll well, in another ex- it'll go back up. It'll go and back another up.
0: example of, of just like the ESG turning everything on its head is uh, I just saw a story, I think it's Ford or something like that, is like reporting like a $60,000 loss on every EV that it sells, every electric vehicle that it sells, something like that. It's like $60,000 loss like per car. It's like how is that like a how is that sustainable? Well, but Tommy. <laughs>
3: That's why I think that they're that they are doing this for their short term preservation. But I think it's naive and I think it doesn't uh, bode well for the long term, because I think that, yes, for the time being, we might have very few options in terms of the beers we can, you know, for the beer brands we can buy or the gasoline stations we can go to. But that does not mean that in the future there could not be like a, you know, like a just complete bifurcation of these two where it's fine. You want to go down that road, you know, BP, that's fine with you, but there could be a upstart. You know, uh, oil and gas energy company that says we disavow all the ESG stuff. You we see? proudly stand mm-hmm. now. I, now you might say that that's naive on my part. However, no, no, I just no. I, but, I
2: understand. But, but, I understand but, but, the point. But
3: but and and I mean I understand that the big financial you know players are steering trillions of dollars of capital to the to the companies and trying to like you know basically blackmail them into doing what they want them to do. But really, the bottom line is that if the consumer and this kind of goes back to to my my thing a couple of weeks ago if the american consumer if the consumer you know around the world was just to stand up and say we don't want this we are going to tune out disney we're going to tune out netflix we are not going to buy any beer you know that that is pushing you know this ideology that would be a huge wake up call to these companies but then the other the other side of that argument is that but you know what we do live in a world in which these companies have such you know power Whether, you know, whatever sector it's in that they can to some degree kind of ignore the will of the consumers because we do have, you know, such limited choice in many of these sectors. So I can see both sides of the story is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I want, I want uh, Justin to have an opportunity to respond to that, but I will say in the, uh, in the example of the car company that's taking a loss on every EV that they sell, aren't there laws in place that like, these car companies have to sell X amount of EVs uh, you know, in proportion to the rest of the cars that they sell? So it's like only these massive car companies could possibly take that hit. No startup could possibly, you know, make a profit if they're right, making right, a loss. Right. On, you know? but,
3: but what I'm saying is, and this this goes back to what Jim and Justin were saying earlier about this is like, you know, the uh, antipathy of the free market. This is like the just a complete antithesis. Oh, yeah. On it. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, like back in the day when horse and buggies were, you know, like ruling like the, you know, tra- the transportation industry people you know realized hey you know what we like these things called cars and eventually you know innovations were you know had and it became affordable for the general public but now we're going the opposite approach you've got you know people at the very top saying we don't care what you want we don't care if you want evs or not you're just gonna you know we're going to force you to buy them and we are going to eliminate all the other options so it's it's such a it it it, it is the you know the polar opposite of a free market yeah. society which the united states you know had You know, going for so many years, but now we are going into this this like you know dark, uh, you know anti free market. Well, just just like dark anti free free market, uh, you know era in which you've now got the companies saying we don't care what you we don't care what you want. This is what you are gonna. These are the options you're gonna have. So will the will the consumers say fine? We will kowtow and give in to like you know the limited options that you're giving us. Or will there be a backlash and the consumer saying, no, we are going to, you know, not purchase those products and services and wait for a company to, you know, come into existence that is saying we reject those, you know, those kinds of things. But you're right. It's very difficult for a car company to, you know, get up and started in a a short period of time, especially if you've got. The big banks and the big, you know, financiers saying, Well, we will just, you know, not steer capital in your direction because right. you're not playing ball the way we want you to play ball. So it, it, it's a very messy, complicated situation. There's it's no the biggest, easy solution.
0: ESG, biggest crony system ever devised by man. I said it before, Absolutely. I'll say it again. Uh gentlemen, we are fifteen minutes, sixteen minutes over. Any last words, anything you want to get off your chest before we wrap it up. Here in that outro music, I want to thank everyone for joining this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. If you are an audio-only listener who is catching this show probably on a Friday, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays, live at noon Central Time, where we are streaming on YouTube and Rumble and Twitter and Facebook. And you can join the conversation Throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, we do have that super chat functionality. If you want to help out our show financially, it's a great way to uh, help out the show and make sure that your comment or question is read during the broadcast. Also, if you are listening to this, leave a review for us on iTunes. That'd be greatly appreciated. If you are watching us, there's a couple of things that you could do that won't cost you a cent, only it costs you a couple of seconds. That is, hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. It all helps break through those big tech algorithms and front content like this from being shown to more people. Also, if you would like, you can follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod. Or if you have any comments or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at G email.com boom that was perfection i didn't mess up one time on that outro jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you
1: at jay Lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org
0: fantastic chris Telgo, uh what do you have to pitch today just Heartland.org. i don't do social media i'm a ghost that's right <laughs> uh justin haskins how about you where can the fine people find you
1: at
2: justin z haskins on twitter <laughs> I don't know if I can say <laughs> anything
0: else. My voice might die. Yeah, he's he's just ran out of voice. All right, folks. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Forget Hello. it, Donnie. You're Hello. out of your
3: element.